Do you want to run further, faster, or stronger? Do you want to enjoy your running more and generally be a better version of yourself? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Alan Ladd, a running coach and nutritionist. My aim is to help you improve your running from 5Ks to ultras by providing you with the knowledge and tools you need on training, nutrition, and mindset, as well as giving you the inspiration to dream bigger, achieve more in your running, and to make it fun at the same time. Welcome to the Running Rules Podcast. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Running Rules Podcast. This is episode number 32, my five biggest racing disasters and why I still didn't think I needed a coach. Hopefully, this is going to be a fun and informative trek back through some of the absolute messes I've made of races. Um, This idea really came about from last week when I started posting up clips of my training and especially in the heat that we've just had, I had a bit of a a rough session on on Friday and I was quite surprised actually at the feedback that I got to say that a lot of people posting on Instagram, Facebook are only posting really the highlight reel of their, their training, only the good stuff and it was refreshing to see that Uh, I've made mistakes and I'm happy to own up to them. But that is one of the big things that I always want to encourage and and to educate people on is all of the things that I've gone through in my own races that were a complete mess or a disaster and try to stop that happening to other people. So I'm really passionate passionate about sharing my own experiences and how... I've come through those bad times and hopefully, I mean, I still have bad races. I still have bad sessions as people on Instagram will have seen on Friday. I had a really bad session in the heat, um, tried to stick to paces that weren't really realistic given um, the heat that we had on Friday here and ended up blowing up through that, halfway through that session. So it still does happen. Um, I think there's always the scope for bad things to happen especially when you're pushing yourself but now that I do have a coach I've had a coach for the last uh, three years Um, we've been working together I feel like that has been a lot less of the time now and um, it's funny looking back at the disasters that I've had over the years I still didn't think I needed a coach after all of those disasters and it was actually only once I started getting to the point of figuring things out and getting past those failures and getting to the next level that I actually felt like I deserved a coach and that's kind of the wrong way to think about it because I could have shortcutted a lot of those failures and a lot of that time by getting a coach earlier but I'll get into that a little bit later on but I hope you're doing well wherever you are hope you're managing the heat and um, it's very exciting time as well, building up to those half marathon and marathon races in the autumn. We've got Berlin uh, in just two weeks time. We've got Belfast half marathon this weekend. Uh, best of luck to everyone who is racing there. I've got quite a few clients there and quite a few people that I've been talking to on Instagram doing that race. So let's get into today's episode, my five biggest racing disasters. And these are just five of the best ones but believe me there are more that I could have chosen from Um, and I'm going to take them in chronological order 
um, seems a reasonable way to go with it. But I think there's, I've tried to choose five different ones where there's a different lesson to learn from it. Um, so the first one in 2005 was my second attempt at the marathon. So anyone who's gone back all the way to, I think it was episode two or three when I talked about um, all the marathons that I had done will know that my first marathon was in 2003. Um, my mum came over to Belfast where I was studying at university and she did the marathon with me. We didn't run together, but she had given me a plan um, told me what to do basically because I had never done any running before. So I took this plan, followed it to the letter. I also had a friend, Tom, here who was running the marathon and we ran up to 14 miles together and then he encouraged me to push on because I was feeling strong and he wasn't. Um, but in that first marathon in 2003, I feel like that went as well as it possibly could have done given the, the circumstances. And what I mean by that is that I had no experience of running. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing um, in terms of the marathon. All I had was a training plan and my mum giving me a few tips. She'd done, I think, two or three marathons up to that point. So she had a little bit of an idea of what was going on, more obviously a lot more than I did. Um, and I'm sure she gave me some kind of fueling advice as well but it was very rudimentary um it was just dextrose tablets there and possibly sports drinks and things like that it didn't have a watch in that first marathon um or in the second attempt so i, I had no idea about what pacing strategy to use or or anything like that all i had was um a watch a, basically a timer so i mean I could have done some kind of rudimentary pacing off the mile markers and the, the timer, but I can't even remember if I did that. I don't think um, I did that. I just went off feel, but that first marathon went pretty well. I did struggle a bit in the second half, as everyone probably does in their first marathon, but in terms of a first effort, I felt like that was really strong, and I was really, really pleased with the, the time that I got, given that I was looking to try and break four hours around 3.41 in that first marathon, so I was really happy with that, and felt like that was a box ticked. Um, I wouldn't need to do that ever again, and yeah, I put put an un, underline that and put it in the book and not have to revisit the marathon. Then two years down the line, tw uh, 2005, um, I was in third year at the time, final year university. And my mum came over again. This time, my younger brother, Phil, was, was coming over as well. He was 18. I was just turned 21. So... Um, being the bigger brother and already having done one, I didn't want to get beaten by my brother. But on the other hand, um, I got very arrogant and thought, I've done this before. I know how to do a marathon now. Um, I don't really need to do the full training. And I wish I could go back and look and see what I actually did for that second marathon. Um, because... All I can remember is that I didn't, I know I didn't follow the plan very well at all. So I don't know what, what my training really looks like. I didn't have any sort of training diaries, no watch to record runs or anything like that. So I can't go back and look, but I know having looked at my training for 2015 and 2016, which was still quite sporadic, um, but a lot better. 
um, because I did finish those marathons. Um, I know that 2005 probably looked really bad in terms of training. So my training was really poor going into it. And then my, I had the ego as well of not wanting to be beaten by, by my brother. And he, I don't know what kind of training he did. Um, have to get him on the show sometime and and see if he can remember back to those days because it would be interesting. But he came over and I remember when we were just doing training, training run the day before or whatever, thinking, you know, he's going to go off fast here. And I didn't want to let him get away. Um, so the ego took over and I went with him and that was a mistake. But I think for this one, the takeaway for me is is not necessarily the pacing because go I've got a better pacing story later down the line that we're going to have a look at. The, the story here really is that my training was really not good enough for the marathon. I didn't respect the distance having achieved it once before. I thought second time is going to be a breeze. Do I really need to do all that training? And and so I wasn't even getting the basics of training right. And I see, I think that's the first thing that most people will go to um, if they're going for a marathon or even a half marathon or a 10k, whatever it is. They will get a training plan and try and follow it. Um, and that really can, can get you through. But I still see people making mistakes um, in those training plans and it's usually not because there's anything wrong with the training plan training plans are there and they usually do work if you can manage to f follow them to the letter the problem is that people usually can't follow it to the letter and then it's what the, what do they do once they fall off in a certain place and that could the reason people fall off could be anything it could be that they've got sick they've got a little niggle They've had too much on at work or um, other commitments have come in or they're just not feeling motivated to do it. But a lot of people go through this and you can't necessarily get every single session in a 16 week plan done exactly how it is on the plan. And it's what you do when you fall off that is the, the big issue and the big problem that I see with people. So I've already had even just today, I've had messages from people saying I haven't got as many of my long runs as I wanted for the marathon. And I'm going to be doing long runs all the way up to the marathon itself, you know, even the week before. And I was trying to say that that's really not a great idea. Even if you're a bit underprepared, it's still you still need that rest break beforehand. And you can see people who fall off, try and cram things in too much into a short space of time um, and that's where a coach could really help so back in 2005 I didn't think I even needed to follow a plan let alone hire a coach or anything like that so really the mindset was all wrong going into that that uh, marathon um, I had the ego and the training wasn't there but it, even if you are following a plan that's where you know, if things happen in that plan, you need to be able to adapt. And that's where having a coach can help you to find out what those those things that you need to adapt are, whether it's not knocking back the mileage a little bit or spacing runs out. Um, I see people trying to do um, a, 
a tempo session followed by a long run the next day or something like that and you need the breaks in between there it needs to be well balanced um, and I've made loads of training mistakes in the past as well even when I've been a coach myself and known what I should be doing and that's why it's so much easier now when someone else is looking after my training now for me but I've made mistakes before that where I've suddenly done a lot of elevation or a lot of speed or too much too many miles too soon uh, and that's when the niggles can start to come in but that 2005 marathon um, I'll finish the story of what happened so uh, my brother Phil took off um, right at the start and I went with him and I probably ran a 10k PB that day would love to know what we went through that first 10k out at that point I thought the this heat this this race, this pace is too hot for me, so I let Phil go, um, and I struggled on for the next 10 miles, at which point I was, I, I stopped basically on the towpath about 16 miles, and my mum, I could see her coming towards me, because I thought, I'll wait for my mum, and she'll drag me along here, she'll speak good words of encouragement to me, and, and keep me going, and she'll drag me round, and she came whizzing past and just went on <laughs> and that stuck with me for quite some time um that feeling of my mum is gonna save me and then she just went past me uh, and I just stepped off the course at mile 16 and went home and that is to date um on, only one of t two did not finish as that I have the other being when I sprained an, an-, an ankle halfway through a half marathon and couldn't continue but I had a had a choice that day whether to carry on or not and I didn't and that stuck with me for a very long time um I didn't do another marathon after that for 10 years so it took until 2015 to do my second marathon so that was a stretch of 12 years from my first marathon and 10 years from that that failed attempt in 2005 and that could have all been avoided um, by having good training um, or even someone to watch over what I was doing. So in 2003, I didn't have a coach, but I had my friend Tom who was keeping me on track doing these training runs. And in 2005, I didn't have that. I didn't have the accountability. I just did what I wanted and it all fell apart on race day and it stuck with me for a very, very long time. So that is the risk of messing something like that up in such a big way so number one um was 2005 marathon and the takeaway there is to get your training right number two is my second marathon in 2015 and as i said it was a long stretch between those two but I finally got back into running um in 2014 and in 2014, Phil and I did the Belfast Half Marathon. And it was about a month after my mum passed away. And because it was quite soon after that, uh, we really didn't have much time to prepare for that. So that half marathon was ropey, but it was what we had, what I had to do to get around it. And during that half marathon, at about mile eight, um, they were giving out gels on the course um, so I just grabbed one took um, I don't even I can't even remember what exactly the gel was but I remember taking it um, 
eating it and then or whatever I was trying to do with it and there was no water nearby and it was just a really really sticky sweet um, taste in my mouth made my mouth really dry and I couldn't get rid of that taste until we got to the next water stop which was must have been at least a couple of miles down the road if not more so having had that bad experience with a gel I'd never tested gels before by the way I just thought they're giving gels out in the car, so I must must be a good thing to take one. So that was the that was the first mistake back in two thousand and fourteen. Um, but that's not what this story is about. <laughs> the story is about two thousand and fifteen marathon, and what I decided after that gel experience was that um, during the marathon I wasn't going to take anything on course at all. So I wasn't going to take any gels, any sports drinks um i was just going to have water wasn't going to take any sweets from the kids um handing them out on the road just in case anything went wrong or i got stomach issues or whatever and i now know this to be a terrible idea um i don't even know if i had much breakfast that morning again i was worried about um my stomach um and just wanting to get through the race without any any issues that way Certainly hadn't tested any kind of nutrition in training, which is my first recommendation for anyone who is running a marathon or a half as well, is to test your nutrition during training. I didn't do any of that. I didn't know about this. I was relying on people to tell me what to do. Again, um, I didn't research any of this. And even if you do research, you'll get a lot of different ideas and a lot of different things but really you have to go away and test what works for you i can certainly give very good recommendations for people but we have to fine tune it to what actually works for each person so i didn't do any of this decided that i wasn't going to take anything on the course and what happened was the first half was okay and then the second half I was getting more and more fatigued, trying to push through, trying to push through. By about 20 miles, I think it was, I remember quite getting quite dizzy and a little bit dis disorientated. And then you go out onto the towpath um, near the Olmo Park in Belfast Marathon at about mile 22, 23. Uh, I, could, I remember... I got pins and needles in my legs and then I started not being able to feel my legs as well. And this is just re running out of energy, basically. You're, you're, you haven't got any blood sugar. Um, you've run out of energy stores and your um, body is basically just shutting down um, and, and trying to use what it can, but also trying to sort of stop you doing stuff, stop you burning this energy. Uh, I managed to get up the Ormo Road, which is up to about mile 24, and then come down the Ravenhill Road, which is down to mile, mile 25. And just beyond that, um, about 25.2, uh, my legs just turned to jelly, and I just fell like a sack of spuds to the floor. Um, which was quite alarming, because I still thought my legs were still going. Um, I could feel my legs moving. But when you look down, they weren't moving. As so I was trying to get back to my feet and it felt like my legs were still going. Um, and I just couldn't get back onto my feet. 
Luckily, I stopped uh, or I, I fell by St. John's Ambulance and they gave me a gel and sat me up and some water. And I was down there for about 20 minutes. Um, and I didn't actually think they were going to let me finish the race, even though it was just a mile further. Um, but they kept me there for about 20 minutes, got satisfied that I was OK and, and then let me go. Uh, and I finished that marathon in 3.57. So that was my second marathon. It was 16 minutes slower than the first one and about 20 minutes on, on the floor. So I would have just about snuck under that time if it hadn't been for that. But it was a pretty disastrous end to a race and a pretty disastrous plan for that race. So the takeaway here is really that the training plan alone so if you do just follow a training plan online, that alone won't tell you how to fuel or, or pretty much any ones that I've seen won't tell you how to fuel or won't give you any ideas for that. And obviously, just by talking to a coach or, or getting a coach or talking to someone that you know who is experienced in the marathon will be able to tell you that fueling is very, very important for a marathon and to go and try things out in training for yourself but certainly not to get to that state where you get the jelly legs and you go down it's quite dangerous but it's also not a good feeling of course when you are trying to do a marathon especially in in uh, memory of your mum and making a complete mess of it um, in the process. Um, so my heart goes out to anyone who has had that experience. I really hope that you haven't had it, had that experience, but if you had, then you'll know what that feels like. And if you haven't, then please don't go to that, the point of, um, running out of fuel to that extent. But obviously again, at that point, I was just thinking, well, I need to do more research into this. I need to work things out for myself. It never really occurred to me that a coach could shortcut this, this journey for me. And probably for the next couple of years, two or three years, I really sort of tried to get on top of nutrition myself and um, learn a lot more about it. So third mistake or the third disaster was in 2018 so 2018 I had a great year it was one of my it was I still go back to it as being my breakthrough year in terms of getting to the next level and as I said from 2015 I had made those fueling mistakes and it taken me a couple of years and the motivation again because obviously when you take a hit like that again that sucks the motivation out of you and, th and you get those doubts thinking, can I actually do a marathon well here? Um, it felt like a very long time since 2003 and that almost then seemed like a fluke. Um, I did run a fairly decent marathon in 2016 in 325, but again, I still didn't feel like I'd fully mastered the marathon and I felt like there was a lot more that I still needed to learn and do. But in 2018, I managed to put some of those pieces of the jigsaw together and I ran my first sub three in Dublin in um, October of 2018, which I was absolutely delighted with. 
But this racing mistake um, is actually across, well, I would say three races, but I'll include a fourth one. So in and around this time of running um, 258 in Dublin, I was really interested in trying to qualify for the New York Marathon. And the New York Marathon, um, you can qualify either with a marathon time of, for me then, in that in the age category I was then, um, it was 2.55, sub 2.55. Or you can do it with a half marathon time, which at that point for me was 1.23 because um, I think I was 35 at the time. So whatever way it worked out, I think these times are still the same today, but it depends on your age. So it was 2.55 or 1.23. So obviously I'd missed the 2.55 marathon time. So I wanted to try and get a 1.23, sub 1.23 half marathon time to qualify for the New York Marathon. In the lead up to Dublin, I ran Belfast half marathon and that was not my primary aim um, for that half marathon. It was really to put in a good performance to try and get to the point where I felt confident to have a crack at that sub three in Dublin and around 124.14. So I was um, 74, 75 seconds away from qualifying for New York. So when I got to Dublin, it was sub three was the, the goal for me. 255, sub 255 would have been the icing on the cake. But really, I even thought sub three was going to be difficult. And um, I really didn't give much of a thought to getting that sub 255 and I ran 258 so um, I didn't qualify at that point either but after Dublin Marathon that gave me a lot of confidence to try the half marathon distance again and see if I could get that sub 123. So I, I trained for well I'm looking at the dates here um, Dublin Marathon was at the end of October so I had to qualify before the end of the year and I decided that well where we are here in Belfast there's not that many half marathons or road half marathons um, at that time of year it really moves to cross-country season and there's maybe one or two sort of 5k 10k races you'll get a lot of the Santa runs things like that but there's not really any half marathons and at that time, there was a race held roughly every three weeks down at a racetrack in Kirkustown. And I thought, this is probably the only place that I'm going to have an op opportunity to run that 123. So we went down on the 18th of November, which is only three weeks after Dublin Marathon. So I think that was probably the first possible mistake there was doing it so soon after Dublin. But we went down there. Um, I went with um, a friend who was supposed to pace me around, but that's, an, that's another story. We'll not get into that because it didn't work out like that. But we got there and I this, this track is set up um, in such a way that you need to run, I think it was nine and a bit laps for the half marathon. So... I think if my maths is correct, the loops were something like just under one and a half miles, something like that. 
So you have to run this loop nine and a bit times and it's a bit soul destroying to be honest. There wasn't that many people there. Um, I can't remember that first race how many there were, um, but not very many at all. Um, I'm talking less than 20. Um, so you don't really have much in the way of, of support there. We were out on our, our own. Um, we finished first and second in that race if you can call it a race <laughs> and um i was sort of on target for the first maybe half of it and then it just slowly slid off and not to the point where i completely gave up but it got to the point where i knew that unless i really picked it up it wasn't going to happen for me um it was a bit windy that was one thing i will say um but that last lap, I kind of knew that I was just too far off and I ran 123.38, so it was 39 seconds away now. And that was on the 18th of November. My friend um, basically said, bad luck, better, next luck, better luck next year. And that was it. And I thought, no, I'm going to get it this year. Um, I'm going to go again. So in let me see, three weeks time after that, there was another running of this same race around this racetrack, nine and a half loops. And I thought, all I need to do is hope that it's not going to be windy on that day. And then I'll be able to take that 39 seconds off. So I went down again, three weeks later, did the exact same race, this time just on my own. Um, probably even fewer people there, maybe about 10. Um, I think I ended up winning the race again. But this time I fell off way earlier. And I knew way before I got there that, or, or way way before I got to the end, that I wasn't going to be able to get, get the time that I needed. And that's a horrible thought to think, I've just got to keep on running loops of this track for no real reason apart from to finish the race and yes you can say you've won it but there was literally about probably 10 people there maybe less so I didn't really feel like a, a victory even um, and I, that day I ran 125.45 so I was basically two minutes slower than three weeks earlier and any sane person at that point would have said right well it's just not happening for you this year um, go away, work on it, and get it next year for the following year. But no, I thought I'll give it one more go. So in another three weeks' time, 30th of December, to basically the second last day of qualification, I went back down again. Obviously, Christmas had been in, in between there as well, so I'm sure that wasn't a particularly good period of training either. But what can you really do in three weeks of training anyway between two half marathon races? You need probably probably at least a week to recover from that half marathon. Then you may, might have one week of decent training and then a week of resting up and recovering and making sure you're prepared and fresh to go again for that next half marathon. So they were really too, too, close, uh, too, too close together to get any kind of training adaptation in there. And so it proved to be. The last one was the grimmest of all. There was only two people there. I won the race again. Um, came first out of two. But it was even worse this time. Um, I 
felt like just stepping off the course halfway through and going home. But I think because I play, paid 20 quid for the privilege of ra- running around this course and, and now I was doing it for the third time. So it was my 27th lap round this course. Um, and I finished in 126.14, which was the slowest of the lot. And it was two minutes slower than the one back in September. It was a really grim feeling. And it was just a sign of complete madness. And all you need is someone there to sort of step in and say, this is what you should do. I really think this would be a better approach. And it, it was, it's, the takeaway here is that it's so easy to get short-sighted with goals or on the other hand it's too easy sometimes to give up when things um seem like they're too difficult so on this this extreme that i went to i just kept trying to do the same thing over and over again without really doing anything different and that just needed someone or for me to take sense and and say, I need to go away and work on a few things, and then I can drop that time down in the next cycle or next year or whenever that time comes. It should have been clear, even after the first one, but certainly after the second one, that it was never going to happen in that cycle, um, because that race was not ideal for starters. But I just couldn't build up any fitness in between those. If anything, I was just sort of losing fitness every time I did those races and having the recovery time and the rest time for the next uh, effort. It just wasn't conducive to getting that time that I needed. So again, um, I didn't think that I needed a coach. I felt like, oh, I've run this sub three doing what I've you know, the training that I've done, I've pretty much done it on on my own. Do I really need anyone at this point? But a coach could have easily stepped in there and said, you know, let's go away, do another cycle of training and come back. And that's what I ended up learning from that. I mean, I'd had no choice. I had to give up at that point. It was the last day before the cutoff for the qualification. But I did another cycle and... I managed to take three minutes off my best um, in March. So that just shows you what a bit of good training can do and enough time to get those adaptations can do for you. You can make those changes and really cut that time down. But I think people want the wins really quickly sometimes. And it always makes me nervous when I see people wanting to do back-to-back races with not much time in between. Yes, it's worked in a few occasions and one of my clients did it um, last year to great effect, but we really had to manage what she was doing in between those two races and we only tweaked a few things that I thought would really help in the the marathon. Um, It was two two back-to-back marathons, five weeks apart, so it can be done, but it really needs a lot of um, massaging in terms of the training plan and what you're doing and the mindset is crucial as well. Um, I'm sure my mindset was just going down and down with every time I did that race. Um, It just wasn't conducive to um, running my best and 
getting that time that I needed. So that was the third one. And the takeaway is um, make sure that your goals are realistic and that you check in with those and make sure that you've got enough time to get to where you want to go and you've got the right plan to get there as well. Um, but that was a definite sign at that stage that I was still doing things really irrationally and I could have cut out that really poor few months of training and races and done something useful in that time instead. So my fourth disaster was a pacing disaster and I've had quite a few of these over the years. I think it can be a very difficult thing to do because or to do right because pacing is one of those things that there's no definite rule that someone can say this is what you should do but as a coach and having seen lots of people lots of people's training I think I've got a fairly good gauge usually of where people should be at with their pacing and their targets um but that doesn't always apply when I'm coaching myself and it didn't in 2019. Um, this was the Nuri Half Marathon and this is definitely, I would say, the biggest blow up I've ever had in a race. And to put it into context, um, this was May 2019. I managed to run six minutes slower than I had done six weeks previously. And there was no real mitigating factors there other than um, probably the big mitigating factor is that I'd run a marathon in between those two times. And that really should have, again, been taken into consideration. I still didn't have an appreciation of how much time I needed to recover from marathons. So that was obviously a big problem. But I think the main problem here was just the pacing was completely ridiculous when you look at it on paper. So back in April 2019, I ran my be my personal best at that time, which is 119.37, which is an average of 6.05 per mile. I'm just going to read you out the splits of what I did six weeks later in Newry when I had the complete disaster in pacing. So bear in mind that I averaged 6.05 and it was pretty even across that whole race. I started out with a 5.43, 5.49, and from there it just dropped off a cliff. So I went 6.13, and then a 7 mile to finish with. So the range of paces there was 5.43 all the way up to 7.22. And given that I'd run 6.05 as an average, and in London Marathon, um, I'd run an average of, I think it was 6.35 in that marathon. So to be running 7.22 at the back end of um, a half marathon just shows how badly wrong I got it. There was no other mitigating factors. It was a flat course. It wasn't particularly warm. I just completely blew up that pacing. Um, and 
the moral of the story here is really to rein in the ego. Um, what happened in that race was there was a little cluster of about 10 people in the front pack. And I thought, I'll go with them, see how it goes, which was a bad idea. And what happened over the course of miles 3 to 13 was that I got constantly passed and passed and passed and passed. And I don't know what position I ended up in. I started off that first couple of miles in 10th, but literally tens and tens of people must have passed me. I think I probably finished 40, 50 in that race. And it was just a horrible feeling. Um, it was an out and back course as well. So it wasn't even like I could drop out of the race, you know, at halfway because I had to run back to get to the finish. So it was just a terrible race. And I remember being really, really downhearted with that one, um, especially given that I'd just run a PB in the half marathon and the marathon back in April to run so badly then um, at the, the end of May was a real, real dent for the confidence. Um, but again, I think at that point I was starting to think, you know, a coach would be a good idea here. Um, but I still had that mindset that, you know, I can figure things out, I've done it before. But as you can see, it's taken a very long time for me to figure things out. And a lot of these failures could have been avoided. I'm not saying you won't get some kind of pacing failure, but 5.43 for a first mile and a half marathon when I'd never averaged that even for a 5K was just ridiculous. So that is where someone can rein you in. Yes, you may go out and ignore them and obviously you're autonomous. You know, if I'm coaching people, I do say, this is what I suggest, but you're, you're free, you're free to do what you want to do, but I strongly suggest this might be a better approach. Um, and same with my coach, he's probably a bit more, um, he's bit, probably a bit more forceful than I am. I wouldn't say forceful, but definitely reminding me to be cautious and that really paid off uh, last year in Manchester. When I come back from injury, I was still thinking of going out uh, probably faster than I wanted to. And he definitely was the cautious one saying, why don't we try this pace and try and get a negative pacing strategy? And that was the first time that I'd actually managed to pull off a negative split in a marathon. And that was an unbelievable feeling, passing those people at the end. And it was complete contrast to that half marathon in 2019, where I was just constantly passed by person after person after person. Um, it was a horrible feeling. So again, the difference of having someone in your corner and telling you, you know, this might be more appropriate or why don't you try this? Even if you don't go with it, it's another idea, another perspective to bounce off and you're not just left in your own echo chamber of oh I could go at sixes or oh, I could go at 50 550s 545s whatever it is you just keep on pushing down and down sometimes or some people might be the opposite some people might be way too cautious and go oh well even though I've been running 
I don't know, 145 pace for a half marathon in training. I'm going to try just to break two hours or something like that. You know, that's taking it obviously to the absolute extremes, but some people really want to push on harder than they should be. And some people are afraid to fail. So don't get to their full potential. And it's trying to find that balance. And it's quite difficult to do it on your own, even if you are quite experienced working with others or, um, you know, you know what you should be looking for. It's quite hard to sort of have an objective conversation in your own head about that. So number four was Nuri Half Marathon, complete mess up of pacing. Number five was just last year, 2022, and it was the Sea Isle 10 miler um, in America. So we were in America for about three or four weeks last last summer, and it was really hot the whole time. Um, most days it was above 30 degrees. And I had this 10 miler booked in because it was quite close to where we were staying um, at my brother-in-law's. It was just um, a couple of villages or a couple of towns down from where we were staying, where he lives. And it was in the training cycle for London last year. And I wanted to have um, a decent distance, a 10 mile or a half, mile, half marathon distance to test myself over to see where my fitness was. So the problem here was twofold, really. The main one was the temperatures. This race was being run at half five or six, something like that in the evening. And I thought maybe the, the temperatures would have died down by that point. But it became quite obvious up leading up to the race that this wasn't going to be the case. It was going to be warm. And indeed, it was 31 degrees when the race started. The other issue was that most of it was along um, the sand as well. There was a bit along a boardwalk area and then it crossed over onto the beach. And if you ran close enough to the sea, then it was firm enough. But there was bits as well where you were crossing between the boardwalk and the edge of the sea where it was quite soft sand. So it was really sort of difficult to get any traction through that parts as well. It really sapped your energy. The The mistake though that I made was not dialing my pace back enough for the heat. Now it did occur to me that I needed to do this, but I really didn't do it enough. Um, so to give an example of what I was thinking in my head, I had run 58 minutes for a 10 miler um, the year before in 2021 and I thought that might be possible again in good conditions. Then when I saw what the conditions were like I was thinking well maybe I'll run it at marathon pace which is going to be about 6.15, 6.20 pace. Um, unfortunately the first mile I did take off a little bit fast so I was 5.58 for the first mile. Um, that in normal circumstances would have been okay pace for that, but not in those conditions. I did dial that quickly back in to a 6.14, 6.18. But unfortunately, that even that adjustment wasn't enough. And by mile three, I was really, really struggling. And again, I'll give you the splits um, for the rest of that race. It went 6.47, 6.56, 6.48, 7.14, 740, 
713, 705. So mile eight of 740 was really, really slow. And in fact, mile seven, I really actually did think about giving up on that. But when you look back at my heart rate data, it's no wonder why that happened because um, usually if I get up into the 170s, that's sort of my danger area. If I'm under 170s, that's okay. If I'm high 160s, I can usually carry that through um, at least for a half marathon and possibly on more like a marathon. But once I get into the 170s, uh, I looked at my average for 5k recently, that was 174, um, 10k was 171, so I'm up in that area where I can't hold that for an hour. Um, in Within that first mile, I peaked at 179, and my average for mile two and three was about 176, 177, so it was really at the top end of what is possible for me. Um, like I say, I'm in trouble if I'm into the 170s. I think about 180 is around my maximum, not far above that. So 179 was peaking at, I was completely done. Um, and after the race, um, I have not been in quite, I've not been in as bad a way as that um, in any race since that 2015 marathon where I didn't feel um, and it was just all down to the heat um, I was just really completely wiped I ended up running um, 68 minutes instead of what 58 minutes which is what I normally would have done now that should have been lower than that but it's because I didn't adjust enough for that heat so the takeaway here is that temperatures really really do make a massive difference and you have to factor them in. Um, I had a similar thing in Berlin Marathon at, in 2021 where it got up to 24 and I really struggled that day. I was aiming for sub 245 and I ended up getting 249 but I was really struggling in, in the middle of that race. I had to stop a couple of times, make sure I got enough water on board uh, and carry on again and then I did pick up but um, the heat is a big factor. Now I did have a coach at this point. Um, I've been with my coach now for three years. So he would have, I'm sure, told me to be careful about the heat and to factor that in. Um, but the big thing here was that it didn't sit with me in a bad way for a long time, like the other ones did. All of those other previous failures sat with me for a long time because I had to internalize it myself. I had to deal with it myself. I didn't have anyone to sort of rant at or ask what went wrong here. I had to figure it all out myself. And that is where the big difference was last year with that race um, in America. Because first of all, my coach is very compassionate, um, as I hope I am with clients. You know, if I've had a bad race, He's not there to berate me and tell me, oh, well, you should have done this, that, and the other. Um, he is very much of the same opinion that I am, that everything is a learning process. 
um, and there's always positives to take out of everything. And the positive for me really was finishing that race. I could have easily chucked that in at mile seven because I had to go back past the start point at mile seven. So I could have easily just walked off at that point and gone home. Now, the one of the things that was keeping me going was the fact that uh, my brother-in-law and um, Louise and the kids have been down in the heat all day, not all day, all afternoon to set up for the race, sat, sat on the beach, get everything there just to support me. And I didn't want to let them down. Um, it would have been pretty embarrassing to have that support and then just sort of step off the course. But so that was a big positive. But then my coach also pointed out the fact that I would get benefits from that heat training that I did all through that three or four weeks in America. And he was absolutely right because when he came back to Belfast, uh, the temperatures were still above 20 here, which is it's warm for me running. Um, I'm sure it's warm for a, a lot of people in this corner of the world. And I usually struggle in those 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 kind of temperatures, but because it was 10 degrees lower than I'd been running in in America, I was already adapted to running at the, those temperatures and actually was feeling really strong in the the relatively relative cool of Belfast back then, um, even though it was above 20. So I think a coach can really help you to take the positive from what was really a terrible race, if I'm honest with it. Um, but I don't talk about it being a terrible race. It's just another stepping stone on the way to whatever was next. And what was next was London Marathon. And that race didn't go particularly well. But in terms of time, I still ran a really good time there. So um, I was really pleased with getting through that race. But it was the fitness definitely moved on. And I've noticed it this year. I've, I've retained that fitness, I think. Um that's came from that heat training and have progressed on from that. And that's really helped by the fact that you've got someone to see these things objectively with you and to talk through the positives. So I hope that's been in an interesting insight into some of the mess ups that I've made. Um, if you resonate with any of those, um, do let me know on Instagram or Facebook at The Running Rules because I, I would love to know what things have happened to you and, and especially if you haven't been able to figure out what went wrong in a, in a certain race. That's where I think really talking to someone can can help you, first of all, what, what work out what went wrong and what you can do differently, but also to sort of compartmentalize that and put that away and not hold that hold that with you into future races because that can really hold you back for a long time like i say that first disaster back in 2005 it took me 10 years to then run another marathon and that's very extreme but for some people it could be a year a two three and that time just keeps on getting longer um, if you don't get back on it quite soon and get back to it and try and get past what what things you got wrong and move on to the next um, stage. So 
I'm going to quickly recap those five mistakes or the five disasters. So first one was 2005 marathon where my training was not up to scratch uh, and I didn't finish. Uh, 2015 marathon was the number was the second one where my fueling was non-existent and I collapsed at mile 25. 2018 Kirkustown half was the third one where I kept going back and doing the same race over and over again uh, with the same goal and no increase in fitness. Um, that was almost a sign of madness really at that point. The fourth one was the pacing disaster at Newry Half Marathon in 2019 um, where I managed to run six minutes slower six weeks after I'd done my personal best and also had a range of paces that were nearly two minutes from the first mile to the last mile. And then the fifth one was just last year, 2022 Sea Isle 10 miler, where I didn't adjust for the heat enough. Um, and I really um, nearly just dropped out of that race completely, but I was in a bad way at the end of that um, due to not dialing it back in um, for that heat. So, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do let me know. Um, I'm going to be back soon with another guest. And um, if there's anyone that you think that I should get on, do let me know. And if you are interested at all in getting a coach to help you through with any of these problems that might have arisen in your own training or your own races, then do drop me a message at The Running Rules on Instagram or Facebook. And I'll be happy to chat through what's involved and whether it would be good for you. Take care. Have a great week. If you're running Belfast Half Marathon, have a brilliant race. Take care. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time and I hope you've got something to take away and action in your own running. If you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe and recommend it to someone you know. If you're struggling with your own training or want to get faster and stronger and not sure how to, therunningrules.com forward slash coaching is where you can find out more about getting personalized help with your running and nutrition to take you to the next level. Have a great week, stay consistent, focused, and most importantly, enjoy your running.